Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Royal Blue Podcast. My name is Joe Thomas. I'm the Echo's Everton FC correspondent, and I'm joined by my colleague, Christopher Beasley. Today, we've both made the long journey to and from the northeast uh, for Wednesday's game against Newcastle, which is the obvious place to start. Three defeats in three, one nil defeat on the night. What did you make of it, Chris? Yeah, we both went into that fixture knowing it was going to be a tough one for Everton. Um, it would have been regardless, but the fact that they've lost the previous two. And obviously Newcastle are on a bit of a high at the moment, uh, going well this season. Obviously the back of the takeover a year ago, um, it was always going to be a, a tough place for Everton to go, and it was sort of followed the pattern of uh, of recent times. And that Everton was sort of tight at the back, um, pretty decent there, but very little going forward, and that was the f- the frustrating thing because ultimately it was one sublime piece of skill from Almiron. Don't think you could do. I mean, frankly, he was disappointing. But personally, I think sometimes you got to sort of take your hat off to something like that, and that proved to be the difference. And the, and the frustrating thing was that that the Everton were very toothless going forward. It was great to have Dominic Calvert Lewin back first start this season for him, and um, obviously it's not going to be overnight. Um, the problem was he's not. He just was certainly bereft of um, mm-hmm. a, a supply line towards him. So as great as it was having him there. If he's not going to have a, a supply of, of chances coming to him, it's always going to be difficult. Eddie Howe said that Everton offered, asked a lot of questions of his team, um, but not a single shot on target. It, it, it's harsh. Um, I guess we're, we're now coming to a point where Everton have got a, a series of fixtures which uh, certainly look possibly uh, more winnable, but they obviously have to go go ahead and uh, sort of get, get the points where they're mm. expected to now. Yeah, we'll come on to zero shots mm. on target in a minute, but we'll talk about the first half an hour yeah. initially, so the time before the goal. What did you make about how Everton started the game? Um, I, I, I thought it was uh, it was it was, um, it was difficult as it always is when Newcastle went and you know they, they can get the crowd behind them and get a bit of a head of steam, and they they were on the um, they were on the back foot for. A, for a long time there, but um, they again similar to, to Tottenham, and where they'd actually carved out the best two chances at the first half in London. That they they kept them at ar- arm's length. But the problem was, whenever you were you're going to try and break, you, you know, you, you've got to have something up there, and they were very lacking again in, in, in that final third. So it just puts extra scrutiny on on the defence there. Um, Pickford had very little to do before that goal, but you know it. it, it if you're not creating anything, it only takes one mistake or just one, like I said, a bit of magic from the opposition, and and you you really put a lot of pressure on on yourselves. Um, it, was, it was game sort of they, they hung in there, but it's not like we were sort of on the edge of our seats second half, looking like there was going to be ever going to be any equaliser on the horizon. No, I, I thought Everton didn't do too bad in that first half an hour. I thought they competed largely with Newcastle. Neither side really created a, a major opportunity. And Everton actually kind of went 
toe-to-toe with them, not in an end-to-end way, but I thought in the middle of the path, they kind of matched up with them. And the Newcastle are a very athletic side, a very physical side, mm. and you could see that straight from the off, and they, they really do get stuck in. I think when you've got that raucous home crowd behind them, I mean, the atmosphere was quite intense at the beginning, mm. and it felt like the goal came just as events were arising to a bit of a crescendo, yeah. and there'd been a couple of fouls, and... and and Frank Lampard alluded to this a little bit at the end of the match. Obviously, he spoke about the penalty, which he thought was a penalty. We'll come to that in a minute. But in the build-up to the goal, you know, there were a few decisions which I thought 50-50s probably could have gone Everton's way. So, Anthony yeah. Gordon getting fouled on the halfway line was a clear foul. Didn't get anything for it. So, Callum Wilson taking out, taking out Amadou Anana, And then, obviously, in the move for the goal, there was the question marks over whether Amadou Anana was fouled and yeah. in the build-up to it. I mean... What did you think about some of those decisions? Do you think Everton were hard done by, or do you think that's just a, a natural case you go into a difficult stadium in a hostile environment? The referee is you know, going to come under a lot of pressure from from the home fans, and actually Everton have just got to learn to weather those type of storms. Yeah, there's a couple of issues here. I mean, one we've had this with with, with Anthony Taylor, who's one of our, our highly rated referees in the uh, in the Premier League. Uh, and that it, I'm sure there used to be a time where you'd never actually have a um, a referee from close proximity to wherever um, one of the teams were who, who were playing, and the referee was from the northeast. Um, on, on when mm-hmm. on Wednesday night, uh, we were told he was a, a Hartlepool fan, um, and I'm not for one moment um, doubting his credentials or his impartiality. But I just think it's quite dangerous to put somebody in that position where mm-hmm. it can be challenged. And um, Anthony Taylor's done the. Um, and there's been other, uh, I said Chris Cabana, the other Greater Manchester official, have both done um, Everton games against Manchester opposition. And I think, it, it, and I'm saying with Liverpool as well, they've, they've had those two referees. I think given that, um, you know, the sort of uh, um, modern world that we live in, the, the, the transportation between places, it just seems very odd that now, something that we didn't do maybe 20, 30 years ago, that we're... These, these referees from close proximity. I mean, I suppose on the flip side of that, Mike Dean has done the Everton games in recent mm. years, the world referee um, before he retired. So it, it, it's strange that, that they actually allow somebody to be in that position and surely they can get a, a referee from a bit further afield. So that struck me as, as one issue. But in terms of, like you say, the decisions, yeah, you're going to have to expect that going to St. James's Park. It's the same with Sunderland as well. I've been there plenty of times. All home fans are partisan. Mm. Certainly are hitting on Merseyside as well. Well, you know, opposition managers have talked about coming to Goodison and Anfield. But I do find sometimes with both the Newcastle fans and their great rivals, the Sunderland fans, there seems to be a, a partisanship bordering on a total ignorance of the rules. Or um, <laughs> it, 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 it can, I remember being do, covering a Liverpool game for the Echo. J- Jamie Carragher was down with a collapsed lung and they were booing him. They were telling him to get up. Okay, they didn't know it was that. But that sort of backs up the, the sort of mentality where they're crying for everything and there was a bit of that but I suppose you've got to sort of learn to live with that when you go up and play in these hostile environments the same as when teams come to Goodison. Um, on the second point in terms of um, Evan having to deal with it and uh, play, I'm going to do an honour I, I mean I was at that game uh, um, at Fleetwood one of his very early games totally different to Newcastle in terms of it was obviously just a tiny crowd there and we were much closer to the pitch. And you could hear him scream every time he got mm. fouled. And it it was obviously, that was a steep learning curve for him when S- Scott Brown's attack dogs would sort of went for him as a lower division henchman. But I suppose in, in the Premier, even in the Premier League, he's got to get used to it's all the players, but particularly Amadou Anana coming from um, the 
French league, previous playing in Germany, he's probably not going to get the sort of protection that he was getting from referees on the continent. And certain decisions are, go- are not going to go his way that um, uh, he, he would have got there. So it's been another learning curve for him. I mean, he put, I mean, as you said at the time, it was a great tackle he put in later on himself. So he mm-hmm. can certainly dish it out. But when it comes to the sort of physical treatment that he does get, he's going to perhaps have to learn to play to the whistler a bit more. And uh, I, don't, I, I, I wouldn't go as far as toughen up, but he's certainly got to recognise those calls that he was getting before. Not going to get here in England. It does feel like teams are targeting, though. Obviously, you mentioned yeah. their Fleetwood. I mean, we, yeah. you know, we were there for the derby when Virgil van Dijk went in late on him. Was, in my view, very fortunate yeah. not to get sent off. And you know, it felt like that again on Wednesday. It felt like teams are targeting him. Maybe it's because of his youth. Maybe it's because of his experience. But you know, regardless of whether or not he should get prepped, he would get better protection elsewhere. But some of them, I, I did genuinely think that they were fouls and he was hard done by. But yeah. the, the, the build-up to a goal is a little bit questionable. I haven't really seen that replayed in, in, in great detail, but you know, certainly one earlier on in, in, in that half, I, say, I think it was Callum Wilson that put the challenge in on him and kind of you know, went into him quite quite high. And I thought, you know, I thought that was, I thought that was a foul and it wasn't given. And, and then you had Callum Wilson, Wilson goading Andy Anana whilst he was on the floor. You know, and it was a bit frustrating. I think the talking point after the game when it came to the decisions became more revolved around the penalty. Yeah. Now, did you think it was a penalty? Frank thought it was a penalty, he thought it was a foul. What, what was your view? I, bet, I, bet, I don't think it was a penalty. No, I don't no. think it was a penalty at all. Um, there's been ones in the past where uh, I've been certainly on Frank's side. I think he said he said a case there with Anthony Gordon and... I think rightly or wrongly, unfortunately, Anthony is gaining something of a reputation with, with match officials. Which... Well, Frank's concerned about yeah, that and with yeah, fans yeah. as well, isn't he? Frank's yeah. becoming concerned that, that Anthony Gordon isn't getting decisions yeah. that he and should be getting yeah. because of a wider reputation, which just shapes less about what's going on on the pitch and more on the circus around it and people mm. almost so desperate to undermine him as you know, fans from other clubs seem to be. Yeah. I mean... It was an interesting one because obviously Frank's come out and said it was a yeah. foul. I'm kind of a 50-50. I definitely think it yeah. falls into that camp where probably a little bit like with Harry Kane at Tottenham the week yeah. before. I think that probably was a penalty. But if the decisions had gone the other way and then yeah. it goes to VAR, I don't think I have them getting overturned. Mm. You, you know, if, if if the Harry Kane at Tottenham penalty isn't given, it goes to VAR, I don't think they said that's a clear and obvious error. Mm. And if the Anthony Gordon um, one at Newcastle is given and it goes to VAR, I don't think they're overturning it for a clear and obvious error. But where I think Everton had a, a genuine complaint was probably in what happened afterwards in the sense that, obviously, you know, Andy Gordon went to ground under the challenge from from, from Dan Byrne and that sparked a little bit of a melee. Yeah. But it wasn't Gordon that sparked it. I mean, we saw Kieran Trippier, who was obviously playing at right-back, and this is an incident that happened at left-back, cross the width of the pitch yeah. to get involved, wind everything up, and then the next thing you end up with a melee that sees Anthony Gordon getting booked. But Kieran, Fabian Char got booked as well, but, but Kieran yeah. Trippier walked away from that. And... I did think that you know it was notable coming off at half time, and Everton really didn't manage to storm between the goal and half time very well. You know, at, at that point, almost they almost they threatened to sink under the rising tide of emotion yeah. after going one 0 down, uh, and and that was a bit of a concern for me. I thought half time came at a, a good moment for Everton to have the opportunity to regroup. It was clear because Seamus Coleman, club captain, yeah. obviously model professional. It's not very often you see him arguing referees that much. Yeah. But he was very clear when he was when he was coming off. He tracked Tony Harrington all the way through to the tunnel. Yeah, Paul Clement almost putting his arm around him, trying to shepherd him away from him. He was clearly incensed by some of the decision making, and there was clearly a lot of frustration there from the Everton camp, wasn't there? Yeah, like like you say, it takes some. I mean, 
Sheamus is no shrinking violet. Don't of get me wrong. Not, when uh, when no, oh, he's going to stick up for his teammates. But like you say, you know, he, he, he he's a modern professional. But um, yeah, he he could see that. And I, I don't know what it's like on a week to week basis up up at um, Newcastle United. But uh, yeah, they were they were. Um, it seemed to be a, a tactic to try and not just not just rough Everton up in mm. terms of the challenges. But like you say. The, um, the getting involved in the the, the, the feasty cuff, the, the pushing and shoving, the handbags, whatever you want to call it, afterwards, and uh, there's almost kind of like yeah. a, a dual tactic where Newcastle are very athletic and physical and strong side. They want to dish it out, but then they're also very sensitive about when it get, gets given back in the return yeah. and make yeah. the decisions their way. And obviously, that you know, worked in their favour, I think, yeah. a little bit on on Wednesday. Albeit, I don't for any one second think that the wider discussion about that result should be about poor refereeing or questionable decisions. I think, you know, the focus after the game has been on Everton's lack of creativity. Yeah. I think that is the right focus. That is the issue that really we should be thinking about. Obviously, they came out, they had the chance to regroup at half-time, came out the second half. They were better. I thought they were better, especially certainly for the first 15 minutes of the second half. I thought Damari Gray put two good balls across yeah. uh, the box, but, but no one got to him. But obviously, and I think this is a concern, is that Everton, when chasing the game, just like they did at Spurs, now for the first hour at nil, nil they created the best two chances. The yeah. game plan worked really well, but it almost became difficult once they went behind. That was when they struggled to to, to create any kind of attacking threat. And it's the same against Newcastle. Now, without any real attacking threat, at a point when they need something to get to get something out, out of the game. I mean, what was your concern when you were looking at that second half? I mean, did you? Did you ever really feel that Everton were going to find an equaliser? No, I didn't. No, no that was my, that was my, that was the big concern because on the, the back of um, it was you and I were down at Southampton just three weeks ago, and we saw all saw that as a, as a watershed moment. Mm. Not only were Everton scoring twice for the first time, yeah, they come back but, as well. They come from behind. They come right, and we're saying quite rightly, you know, Everton maybe a year ago couldn't and wouldn't have done that. So we thought that was you know the start of obviously some something better then. So hopefully you know that. You know, it's not game over as soon as we go one nil down. Well, the last two away games, it's almost felt like that as soon as it, that first goal did go in, that there was no way back, and we thought that Everton had, had got gone beyond that. Okay, they were playing much harder opposition, um, Newcastle and Tottenham, uh, both highly likely to finish above Southampton this season and to finish above Everton, and I think that's nothing that we've got to remember. Everton have lost three on the balance, but they have been playing three teams who. Uh, all likely to finish above them this season. Um, um, so um, it was it, it was frustrating, but I think what they what they weren't doing is obviously you got Carvet Lewin back there. They just weren't getting the crosses into mm-hmm. him. Um, like you mentioned when Gray escaped down the left, um, that was one, it was like a low cross, wasn't it? And there was yep. nobody there was nobody just on the end of it, but in terms of just swinging them in, I think Michael Ball said it in, in his column ahead of the Newcastle game. I mean after the the, the Tottenham Hotspur match when he was saying that you know, he's a former fullback himself because the fullbacks have also got to help in here if, if ever Evans um, wingers aren't providing the crosses and that um just just ask the questions, just get, get in there, put the ball in. He was upset um after the Tottenham game. He felt that Evans wingers were taking too many touches and he says as an opposition fullback, that makes it easy for you, get time to set. See, um he'd much rather they do that than just knock it in there. And then they've, they've got to be more proactive in this respect. Um, as Frank's been saying in his press conference today with all that Calvert-Lewin brings to the attack and those extra attributes now 
But there's no good in being up there if you've got no supply line to him. They've, they've done it in the past. They just need to start getting those crosses in. I know McNeil's been in and out the side, but he's a player who can mm-hmm. certainly do that. And the other two, Gray and Gordon, when, they, when they've got their chances, and like I said, even the full-backs, if they can get forward, because as much as they've been pretty solid, um, Coleman and Mika, particularly Mikalenko, probably hasn't been getting forward as much as he... You would like, and you, you've got to sort of play to those strengths with Carver Loon because I think when you know he's in, in and around the, the, the penalty spot, there's probably nobody else in the Premier mm. League is good at him at attacking those crosses and uh, as, as an aerial presence among centre forwards. So, it, 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 I mean, obviously, Crystal Palace are going to be talking about that coming up Saturday, and we all remember, of course, that famous header against them. And they just need to be um, providing those crosses in on, on a much more regular basis. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That I made in my match report after, where, you know, Everton have found the solutions to some extent, and they've got their most prolific goal scorer, their most ruthless finisher in the squad. Perhaps to the exception of Michael Keane, I don't know how many yeah, training videos, well. training videos you watch, but yeah. he keeps popping up and he keeps he keeps finishing them. In fairness to him, as obviously he did so well against Crystal Palace, you referenced that game a few minutes ago. But it seemed he's all well and good having Dominic Calvert-Lewin on the pitch, but you've got to play to his strengths, so you've got to create for him. It seems quite peculiar that. He comes off just as Garner and McNeil, who are probably two of the better players to, to put balls into the yeah. box. Um, you know, two players with better distribution and, and better crosses are coming on. And that's yeah. that. it almost felt a little bit like, you know, and this might be a natural teething problem just because of the nature of, 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 of the way they started the season with Calvin being out injured. But obviously, you know, it's a side that's just about got used to playing without a main striker, without yeah. a focal point, a target man up front. And now one's come in, and now they've almost got to suddenly readjust and yeah. and kind of address their attacking mentality because rather than necessarily hitting the channels, and, and that becomes very much a case of having to actually go out wide and, and, and cross the ball, yeah. doesn't it? And hit the target man in, in yeah. the middle. I mean, how confident are you that this Everton side can do that? Because obviously, when we've seen Dominic Calvert Lewin at his strength and under Ancelotti. You know, he, he's got 16 goals this season and he was supplied by Sigerson, by Hamas Rodriguez, by Luca Dean. Three, you know, fantastic you know, crosses of the ball. To, yeah. you know, very kind of um, you know, you know, creative and inventive players. Do you think that the current evidence squad has got the the ammunition, as it were, within it to be able to supply him with the chances that he needs to score to play to those strengths? Yeah. I mean, like you say, they maybe don't have it as much as, as, as that particular team you look at the, the, the wide options the Marty Gray tends to sort of like to cut inside and sort of like an, an inverted winger and uh, with Gordon I think Gordon can do it but he mm. needs to be doing it uh, more often McNeil can do it we know that and probably from my from either side but like I mentioned before the, the, the depending on the formation as well the, the, the fullbacks uh, need to be doing that I mean when when Benitez came in he, he had identified that straight away um, as much as it was a Disaster to that spell, but when he came in, Damari Gray 
on one side, and like I said, okay, he likes to cut inside. But then Andros Townsend, mm-hmm. well, I mean, Andros isn't going to be back until possibly the turn of the year. And, you know, we're given his age. I mean, he's, he's super fit and he, he did well before his injury, but you, you know, can't necessarily depend on that. You don't know how. Mm-hmm how sharp he's going to be or how long it's going to be, you know, and, and that's the injury like that at an advanced stage of your career. Um, you, know, you know, hope that he's going to be okay. So, I mean, he could provide that once he's fit, but that's not going to be, that's not going to be the second half of the season. So there are concerns over that um, because Carver-Lewin, for all his strengths, and there are many, as both, you know, you or I or even Frank Lampard would tell you as he did today at Finch Farm, He's not the sort of striker who can do it all on mm-hmm. his own. He's not somebody like Harry Kane, who he's been understudy to at the national team a couple of years ago, um, who could sort of conjure a chance up from, from nowhere, sort of drop deep and um, run at the defence and sort of create a chance that way. And uh, you know he's not got that in, in his in his makeup. So you are concerned that he d- he does need to be fed in that respect, and that he's not going to create something out of nothing. So there does have to be concerns because as much as Everton. We can see now they're a much tighter unit, much more organised at the back. They've got these two great leaders at the back. Hardly miss a game mm-hmm. between them. Hopefully they won't. Tarkovsky and Cody. That's that's more or less you know sorted. We're happy with that. The partner of the pitch, England's number one. Despite what Newcastle fans might say, Jordan Pickford in between the sticks. That defensive side of the game, you know, I don't think there are major concerns in that area. Of course, yours one going to do better, and yours going to pick all that thing. But that's okay. There is a concern just how many goals this, this Everton team are going to, start to score this season, whether Calvert-Lewin's in the team or is not. Hopefully there'll be more when he's in the team and he can stay fit, but there are still those question marks on mm. the supply line. Mm. Obviously, no shots on target in 180 minutes, three mm. defeats from three. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've seen a little bit of in the reaction from, from fans post this little run of fixtures, a bit more concern creeping in. Yeah. You know, how... how how much of a barometer or a fair barometer do you think those three games are to kind of judge what might happen over the rest of the season? You know, I mean, are you are you particularly nervous after watching those that 270 minutes, or are you more? You've already alluded to it. All three sides probably you know, expected to finish above that in the season. You know, are you actually almost trying to take, take a step back and be a little bit more realistic, a bit more pragmatic, and go, okay, and didn't get the results that they would have liked, but actually. Yeah, perhaps isn't so much of a surprise. There were some positives from the performances, and we go again. Where's, where's your, where's your yeah. mindset at the minute, Chris? Yeah, there was a there was a there was a, um, an, a tweet that we both were aware of this week from Upper Gladys um, Louis. He's very prolific on that uh, <coughs> social media platform, and um, I thought he made a lot of speak sense, sense of what he, spe- yeah. he, he was saying. So I just <coughs> I can't speak here in a minute, but. Um, he was saying about, like we've alluded to, the fact that these were three opponents who probably were going to finish above Everton. And they're now <clears throat> entering a period where they would face opponents who Everton would be expected to get results against. Um, and sort of similar to Frank in the way he doesn't get too high or too low, depending on the results, seeing the bigger picture rather than being over emphasizing individual fixtures in isolation. Um, so uh, there's a bit of that. Yeah. The, um, Look at those; they were always going to be tough, and it's just and it's sort of unfortunate mm. that they've come not just three in a row, but the fact that there was a midweek fixture in there as well. So they've come just like within ten or eleven days of each other. So three defeats in a week and a half. Um, so I suppose the flip side of it is that there's a quick turnaround now to the Crystal Palace game, but it does pro- obviously puts an extra emphasis on this next batch of games now that Everton are expected to do. Therefore, I might be more concerned not just 
not so much the results as just as disappointing as it was to lose games and lose three in a row. I'd be more concerned with the displays. The Manchester United game was like the scruffiest, or possibly someone said the worst display on the on the Lampard. And the fact that they started so well, the Awobi goal just after five minutes, just the way that sort of all fell apart mm. and was sort of self-inflicted wounds on that occasion. And then with Tottenham, good for an hour, but then after they they broken the deadlock, just sort of no response. And then at, at Newcastle again, not looking look like they were scoring. So I've, I've possibly been more concerned with the, the way they've gone down, not the fact that they've lost, but rather than going down in a blaze of glory and mm. trying to sort of really ask a few questions, despite what Eddie Howe said. Um, the, the, the sort of the limp way that they've surrendered um, and not really in the last couple of games um, sort of created anything in the final third. And I'd be, I'd be a bit more concerned about that. But it, it obviously just places a greater emphasis on, on this last block that we have now before the World Cup break. Yeah, it really does. Obviously, we've got four games in the Premier League to go. Mm-hmm. So what's we got? We've got Palace, Leicester, Bournemouth mm-hmm. and Fulham altogether. I mean, four games which on paper uh, feel more more likely to get a result yeah. than, than, than perhaps the last three. But obviously... Flip side, Crystal Palace. I think Patrick Vieira is doing quite a good job there. He's got a young attack inside, strong side that just trying to hit a little bit of form. And in Fulham, you know, they picked up another important win last night. And in Mitrovic, they've got goals. So, I mean, this isn't going to be an easy run of fixtures. Yeah. Bournemouth seem to be finding results. Like, I look at Bournemouth and I think, feel relatively confident they'll finish above them. But then they pick up another result. I'm thinking, you know, where's, where's this coming from? Obviously, I've got 10 points at the minute. From 11 games, yeah. there'll be 15 games by the time we break for the World Cup. How many points do you think Everton need to be targeted for this next four games? What do we have to, where do Everton need to get to yeah. to not then send their fans into six weeks of sleepless nights over the back end of November and, and beginning of December and you know worrying about you know whether they're going to have another difficult season on their hands? I'm just thinking probably about nine. Yeah? At least. Yeah. I think you'd want to win both of the home games. And... Um, yeah. You could say that the two away games, a couple of draws would actually be better points wise to, mm. to win one and lose one. Um, so yeah, I certainly think that you would be you'd be hoping to win both of those old matches if, if that's what you're talking about being comfortable, being like say to, mm-hmm. not going into the break sleepless nights and then either one of the two away games or avoid defeat in 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 both of them. And obviously there's a couple of games as well, but that's it. That's its own entity. But mm-hmm. yeah, in ter- terms of Points, yeah, so, so, something like that. Yeah, certainly home because that's the thing. As much as you can accept these these three defeats, you don't like it, and that's not defeatist. But you can, you know, be realistic and and say that okay, they are three teams, not necessarily. Be, well, they do have greater resources, I guess, now with Newcastle on the takeover. So three, three teams ahead of Everton, who you'd expect to be. But again, that. They've got to actually go and win these ones now, and they, I mean they would always be expected to do well in these games. But it's as obviously made the fact that they have got zero points from the last nine. That's an increased emphasis on these games. They're only a point above the relegation zone now. They're, again, they're averaging less than a point a game. Yes, there's mitigating circumstances, but they, yeah, they need to pick up over this last month. Um, yeah, the break. Yeah, I mean context is important as well. Though, I think isn't it? We remember that. When you look at the bottom half of that Premier League table, I mean, pretty much the whole of the bottom half, mm. I, I can't help but look at it and think, yes, Everton have got problems um, or they've got issues that they need to address and which supporters, and I'm sure the club would want to address sooner rather than later. 
but they're not alone in that. No. There's, there's probably as many as 10 sides in the Premier League that are, you know, struggling for consistency, struggling for form. You know, some of them are struggling for goals. Some of them are struggling for clean sheets. Some of them are struggling for discipline. You know, five of them are, or five sides in the have already lost their managers this season. Yeah. Some of them in the in the, the, the top half as well. You know, some of them are managers. We saw Stephen Gerrard, the subject of, I mean, it feels like every time something happens with Gerard Lampard has to be asked about it. Yeah. Like it, as, a, as, a, as a local reporter sitting in on some of those press conferences when something happens, whenever it's England that comes up or whether it's Stephen Gerrard that comes up, it can be quite frustrating yeah. because it ends to, tends to dominate the, the conversations of other reporters, mm. doesn't it? And I think um, felt like that again today. You yeah. know, it's an Everton press conference and they're not playing Villa anytime soon. So why yeah. is Stephen Gerrard going to keep coming First up question, his, yeah. his departure from Aston Villa? But it, it is worth bearing in mind, I think, that, you know, when 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 you have fears about where Everton are this season, they're actually one of a very very big group of teams that are in a similar position. And, and actually, I kind of think although there's no room for complacency and there's certainly no room to give the club a, a free pass on, on on any of these issues, when I step away from it and the emotion of it all, I can't help but think that Everton are in a better position than a lot of them. You know, I think when it comes to creativity and, and goals, my my hope is that the solution lies to a certain extent within the squad. And you've got to remember that Neil Mopai has only really just joined this group of players. Yeah. You've got to remember that DCL has only started one game and we know that he can score goals. Also, I think, you know, we can see whether or not it's, it's working every time. Obviously, it, it, you know, it's not, but I think we can at least see what Frank is trying to do. He's trying to ch- change a team that he inherited, which almost had to be a sit-deep, counter-attack inside because that was the situation he inherited, the players he inherited and, and you know, add on to that injuries and uh, the, the pressure for points because of relegation last season. He's trying to change that to a more progressive team that's trying to play through the middle, play better football, almost force the game to be competed 20 yards further up the pitch than it was at the back end of the last season. Mm-hmm. So you can at least see a structure, you can at least you can at least see what he's trying to do and I'm not convinced that that is evident to so many of those other clubs you know, yeah. you know whether it be behind the scenes you're not sure what they're trying to do from from a leadership perspective or whether it be on the pitch you know and you're not quite sure what their plan for games are i think aston villa sadly for steven gerrard sadly depending on your, your thought process you know they didn't seem to have any kind of structure or or idea for progression either behind the scenes or on the pitch like it just felt like a bit of a mess of a situation by the end of it but do you take a little bit of comfort from the fact that basically other teams are having a lot of difficulty and yeah. I feel like the solutions are more achievable for or more within the reach of them than they are for some of those other clubs? I mean, would, yeah. would you agree or are you actually seeing, you know, you've got the klaxons, you've got the emergency <laughs> sirens waving in your head, you're thinking, yeah. oh my God, I can see another situation like last year developing if this yeah. doesn't get sorted. And when I say get sort- sorted, you know, when we go to January, I think I think there is an acceptance that Everton do need to try and strengthen going forward as well. Like I don't yeah. think anybody is blind to that. Obviously, whether that means that the right player becomes available for the right price and the deal can get done. Obviously, there are a lot of clubs that I think are looking for the same type of player, yeah. to be perfectly honest. But you know, are you confident that Everton can sort this out? Frank Lampard in the immediate future, Frank Lampard and Kevin Farwell during the World Cup break in January. I mean, are you actually relatively at ease with the situation and think, you know what, I think everyone will sort this out. They're on an upward trajectory. I'm not as nervous as I was maybe 
distaste last season. Yeah. Where's your head at, Chris? Oh, yeah. Um, a, a year ago, well, it was I'm trying to think now where we have been up to. Say post Norwich, um, Benito, obviously, Benito, 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 the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, the fact that Rafael Benitez was ever manager, that was... That was <laughs> but, yeah, I think that everyone is totally united on, on, on the Frank and they can see that, what is it, is it six managers in six years? That's why Everton are struggling mm-hmm. the way that they are. Um, got a piece coming up for t- tomorrow, um, fifth anniversary of Ron Koeman's last game and the fact that it's been five managers for five years since then. Um, yeah, everybody... Knows that you know the chopping and changing can't continue. It's just it's that's not going to bring Everton forward at all. And I think that Frank is is doing a, a good job. It's 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 interesting. Uh, it's going to be frustrating the way the way it sort of concertina's in and out, waxes mm-hmm. and wanes, and you know he, he was under pressure, of course, not under pressure of his job, but you know he was you know the wait for the first win of the season against West Ham. You know that was. People weren't panicking then because again they could see that they you know the job that was being done in difficult circumstances. But after he got the win at West Ham, then there was the Southampton and back to back. So all of a sudden, it was like what a great job Frank Lampard was doing. And if they'd have beaten Manchester United, maybe that would have been the narrative: is how's Frank done it? How's Frank turned it around? But enough he didn't, and now he's lost three in a row. A, a row. So you know it, it has waxed and waned in that respect on a week to week basis and that's probably why frank doesn't get so carried away in the here and now and that he's seeing the bigger picture um you mentioned those other teams there uh, three of them haven't got managers as, 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 as we speak okay o'neill's doing a very good job at bournemouth so they're not necessarily under pressure to to make an, an appointment there but the fact that wolverhampton wanderers the team who rather ridiculously gave everton connor cody as much as um, we'll say thank you for that one um, they just got turned down by a rookie championship manager, albeit one who's uh, showing a lot of promise, Michael Beale, this this week. He's decided to um, stay at QPR rather than go there. So that's not going to look good for them. And as you say, last night, only last night, just 75 minutes after the final whistle, Stephen Gerrard was leaving his duties at Aston Villa and they've spent plenty of money under him. Um, yeah, um, I, I think that everyone can see that Everton are pulling in the ru- in the same direction now and that there is a, a method to what they're attempting to do and as, as a, what was the phrase Frank used the, the other week about was it progress not going in a, a straight line mm-hmm. or, or something like that and yeah he, he was you know that was when they were going well as well he, you know he was he was realistic enough to, to to recognize that I am concerned as I've just said before about lack of goals or potential lack of goals within this squad and it, it does need to improve but you mentioned there about targets over the summer there's quite um, obvious that they were over attacking players that they were in for at various stages. Unfortunately, they're probably not going to get those same players now um, because the, those players they sort of vindicated Everton's interest that they've done so well, but they might move uh, beyond Everton's grasp come January. If they're Let's look at the Kudos, Ajax, uh, Mudrick at Shakhtar. Yeah, Everton. those two. Both have done yeah. very well in the Champions yeah. League since then. Exactly. So, um, whether it's them, which seems unlikely, or, or somebody else, I mean, you would you'd like to see some reinforcements there, but what you'd also like to see is you know improvements from within the squad. I mean, um Anthony Gordon was quite rightly lauded this summer. You know, he had that high profile interest, Newcastle actually at one point, along with Tottenham, and then obviously Chelsea very heavily in the last weeks of the window. A lot of people would have probably expected him to go to Stamford Bridge, but Everton 
you know, were interested in those um, offers, no matter how big they might have been. And uh, Frank said it wasn't possibly the figures that were being quoted. Mm-hmm. Maybe it wasn't 60 million. But we, we do know Chelsea were very keen to get him and would have offered big money in relative terms for Gordon, but just wasn't an evidence interest. So Anthony Gordon needs to sort of sh- show why he's um, attracted all, all this interest because, you know, he, he's been struggling, not just with the discipline, another booking again. And, um, the fact that he, as Frank has said to him, given the number 10 shirt, he's, he's picked him up and he wants to see, you know, those improvements in the, the goals and assists, which you, you have to have somebody in those areas. Yeah, well, obviously we've got Crystal Palace coming up uh, tomorrow. Obviously mm-hmm. we're recording this on Friday. You, you mentioned uh, Gordon's form there. Are there any changes that you'd make to start an 11 for Crystal Palace? Would you maybe suggest, you know, perhaps giving Gordon or Gray, one of the wide players, a little bit of a rest. And if Dominic Calvert-Lewin was going to start having Dwight McNeil on from the start in the hope that he can provide him some service, or maybe James Garner a bit deeper doing doing the same. Or, I mean, Frank wasn't very open on Calvert-Lewin as a, you know, he was keeping his cards close to his chest and so whether or not he was going to yeah. start him on on on, on Saturday against yeah. Crystal Palace. But, I mean, is there any change that you'd like to see in the start I certainly hope that Calvert Lewin's fit to start on it. Uh, well, there was no, yeah, yeah. I think he said he was very yeah. clear there was no adverse reaction yeah. to the 70 minutes. I think it's probably more a case of management rather yeah, than injury. It's, it's two it's two games, two games isn't it? a handful of days, isn't yeah, it? a matter of days. So, um, the only one to think was that there's a couple of other areas, isn't there? There's you know, Seamus Coleman played midweek, he played the previous Saturday, so can he play three games a week at 34? No, he's super fit, and he didn't He didn't seem to show any adverse effects of that midweek. Um, so I guess it's an option of Mason Holgate at right back, but um, that's only if the doctor, if only the medical staff deem that Seamus isn't at the level and he hasn't actually shown that. that he, and just he separately, good to yeah. hear that Nathan Patterson might be back as oh, early yeah. as next week. So he, there's a chance, Frank said, that he might be available for Fulham, yeah. which strengthens the options, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, that you could use your thinking maybe if Patterson's back the following week, we'll keep Seamus in for now. Um, and then uh, you can see that they're, they're eager to give James Garner some more playing time, but obviously that means somebody's having to, to drop out in the middle. I can't see it being Amadou and Arna. So Awobi, as, as much as he's been, come on leaps and bounds and has been the biggest success story compared to what he was under Lampard, I mean, he's he's a quiet game to last um, couple of games, but again, that was away from home on the back foot. Maybe he'd want to have his creativity at home. So, Adrissa Gay can't be uh, immune to, you know, in his, his, his place. I thought he was actually better in the whole at Newcastle than he'd been the previous couple of um, matches he was back towards his best but if you are going to find a way for James Garner on the side somebody in there is probably going to have to mix, miss out so it would be interesting because as much as Everton have a, um, a sequence of defeats here Frank has more or less kept the side um, pretty consistent there it's only been you know, the enforced change with, with Gordon and the suspension there's not really been too much else in terms of changes in personnel so I just it would be interesting if he, if he did shuffle the, the, the pack a bit uh, Against Palace, I don't know what your thoughts are on it, but I, I, I just, I just wonder if he's, he's sort of vying to put James Garner in there somewhere. Yeah, well, I think I think Iwobi's been one of the more creative forces mm-hmm. that have had this season. He obviously and he's, he's excelled in centre midfield. So whether or not he um, could potentially do a four-two-three-one and, and put Iwobi a little bit further forward, I think that mm-hmm. might be an option. Um, I mean, Iwobi starts for me uh, regardless. Like, uh, the, and could be an argument to put him out wide and, and maybe almost. 
give Gray and Gordon a, a little bit of a break and put, put Wobi out wide on one flank and McNeil on the other and then aim for Calvert-Lewin in the middle perhaps. But I'm a little bit reluctant to see Iwobi move out of the centre, yeah. bearing in mind the impact and the influence that he's had there. You know, most of the positive things that have done this season have gone through Iwobi or have been a result of Iwobi um, you know, being on the pitch. And I think one of the things that we've seen since Nathan Patterson's injury is is the you know, Iwobi's almost been moved a little bit within the, the centre midfield's almost been tinkered a little bit. So he's on the right and just giving Seamus Coleman a little bit of a hand defensively. Yeah. And it's interesting because when you think of it, you know, again, an unfortunate injury, Patterson just can't quite seem to just get a full run of games. But, you know, Coleman coming in is a natural replacement to some extent, but it's kind of, a, it's a small change that has just reconfigured a side that was starting to build momentum with the way it was playing with each yeah. other. And I think that, one of the things that we really miss now that we didn't have was that Nathan Patterson was so often a, an outlet for Everton, you know, an opportunity to not just relieve pressure on the defence, but also to help start moves going forward because, you know, almost Everton's greatest escape or greatest outlet or most probing element of their play for the first seven or eight games of the season when he was available was that big Tarkovsky from left centre-back switch to switch the play to Nathan Patterson, yeah. who's on the halfway line with plenty of space to run into. And obviously he was young and has a lot of work to do on improving his attacking output. But it was quite effective at times, yeah. or it looked like a, a tactic that was that was working and could work a bit better. You know, I've definitely I think if if Dominic Calvin starts, and for me, if he's fit enough to start, then he starts. I, I think yeah. he's Everton's best player, best finisher in Everton need goals. Um you know, and if he starts and I I probably start Dwight McNeil and look to play Dwight McNeil in one of the wide roles and, mm. and perhaps either put Gordon or, or Gray on the bench and have them as an option for coming off the bench, which, you know, they would be very you know good at doing. It'd be a useful thing to have them come off the last 20, 25 minutes. Yeah. They've had a little bit of a break as well. You know, I'm, I'm interested in getting James Garner into the side as well. And you just keep hearing personnel and bigging him up and talking yeah. about him quite often, you know, even when he isn't the subject of the question that's being asked, yeah. James Carner ends up coming up as a as, as, as well how well he's doing. You know, it's clear that there is a school of thought at Finch Farm which suggests he's not just one for the future. He can have an impact now. Obviously, it's trying to figure out how you get him onto the pitch, and I'd be interested to see how Frank almost reads the last three games because I know he wasn't particularly happy overall with the three performances. He was underwhelmed against Manchester United. He liked the first half against Tottenham. Newcastle, he liked passages of play, but obviously the reality is that there wasn't a shot on target and that, that'll cause him concern. I'll be interested to see whether he gives this group one more go against a side that is a threat and will be difficult to beat, but isn't perhaps at the same stage of their development and level as the last three opponents, or whether actually does shuffle the pack a little bit. And I wonder if maybe you know bringing James Garner into the side you know, potentially for for just again sitting back deep, or potentially for Amadou Anana, and, and you know who's very box to box, and I like it. But obviously he's young; he's played a lot of games at the minute, a lot of games under a lot of pressure. You know, perhaps it might almost be better to have James Garner and and Idrissa Gay sitting a little bit deeper, and then hoping you know by them doing so, one you can make use of James Garner's ability on the ball, and you know his, 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 his long range balls to find players in the channel, and two. You know, if you've got two deep alliance centre midfielders, it might give whoever's playing at right back, probably Coleman and Mikhail and coach, just a little bit more freedom to go forward to see if they can 
you know, support the wingers, support the wide men in a way that they haven't really done in the last few games. Because mm. almost as if a Wobi and an Anna have been playing as eights, and Garner's been, uh, and Gay's been, you've sat in the midfield as, as the six. Maybe almost two sixes might be a way to free up a Wobi to be more forward, forward and perhaps, you know, the fullbacks to do that as well. So that'd be an interesting one, I think. But I think if DCL's fit enough to start, I start him. Obviously, you change your approach a little bit if it's Neil Mope, mm-hmm. um, because there's no point playing. I mean, I, I you know, what this uh, Palace centre back to what Mark Gray, he and um, I think it's Anderson. Uh, nice. I think it's the other one. And um, you know, Mope's not going to have any joy in the air against them, so then it becomes a different type mm-hmm. of game. I mean, what are you hoping for tomorrow, Chris? I mean, do you think it's, I mean, it's, it's not a must win, but. Do you think it's a game that Everton really, really need to win? Or do you think it's a game... And when I say need to win, I don't mean in the sense of, you know, pressure on Frank or anything like that. I just mean in just easing the situation a little yeah. bit, kind of just reassuring every bit of progress is being made. Or do you think that a good performance where, say, they get a point, but but they get the crowd behind them, they look like, you know, they, they are far more of a threat attacking-wise, do you think that that would also pass? I, I think they'd be there. Fortunately, it's it's not the kind of stakes of when Crystal Palace. Oh, yeah, so certainly not. Mark. That was a game that they needed <laughs> well, to win. That was a game that they was, needed to win. That was. Um, yeah, it's not the end of the world if, if they get a draw. But um, yeah, they, they, I think every I think people are expecting they're expecting a win, and certainly expecting a, a big improvement in what they've. They've seen in so the times. reaction, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think you, you know, Connor Cody was talking about the dressing room inquest post mortem that, that took place after the Newcastle defeat. And you know, it seemed that the players, and this I take as a positive, we'd rather them not have to be losing games than talk about them and how to make them right. But we take it as a positive that he seemed to be largely in tune with the fan base and yeah. what he was calling for, you know, braver on the ball, more ruthless in. in with their taking their chances and creating them, yeah, that. And he was a bit worried that the Newcastle game passed him by a little bit. So yeah. clearly, his concerns are about intensity, which I think has been an issue at times in the past three games. Certainly, you know, the vast majority of the Manchester United game, they just lacked a bit of intensity. And yeah. It was worrying to see where it had gone. It's Tottenham; they, they regained it until they went behind. Newcastle it was fits and starts. It's a, it a difficult performance. Yeah. So, um, Anyway, it was just the two of us today, so we'll start yeah. to look to round up because obviously you know, we'll be back with you on Monday. Chris, yeah. Crystal Palace tomorrow. Yeah. What's your prediction? I just it's just coming to my head now. I don't know. I, I, it's saying <laughs> Everton two, Crystal Palace nil. Two goals. Two goals <laughs> and a clean sheet. Well, wow. fantastic. I'm going to go for 2-1 to, yeah. to Everton. I am. I'm, I'm positive for tomorrow. Uh, you know, it's a game that Everton, I don't think, you know, they, they have to be aware of the opposition and they have some fantastic players, Crystal Palace. I'm really looking forward to seeing easy play. Um, you know, I think he's a he's a wonderful player, yeah. easy or as a um and obviously we know that, that Zaha can cause a lot of problems when he's got the game or the you know Everton you know hopefully will be able to, to to keep them all under under control and and, yeah. and get the clean sheet that you're predicting. So yeah. we'll keep our fingers crossed anyway. Well that's been the Royal Blue Podcast. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. You know, we hope you have a wonderful weekend and we look forward to being back with you on Monday. Thanks very much for joining us. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.